0: Welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadston. Welcome to the Birth Activists podcast. With me is Samantha Gadston, as usual. Good morning, Samantha. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. Yes, we have the lovely Katie Edwards with us today. It's so nice to have you here, Katie. How are you?
1: Thank you, Becky. It's really nice to be here. I'm actually doing really well. Thank you.
0: Good. So um, before we sort of get into the, the, uh, the beefy stuff today, would you like to just give the listeners a little bit of a summary as to who you are, if they don't already know?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm Katie Edwards. I am a doula, a birth doula, and I'm based in North Manchester um, in a little lovely town called Ramsbottom, I, uh, which is as far north in North Manchester as you can possibly be and still be in Manchester. But I like to think of myself as a Manchester lass because this is where all my family are from. And I'm also a hypnobirthing teacher and I'm a a teacher trainer for KG hypnobirthing as well, which is like the biggest brand in the UK. So we teach lots of midwives and obstetricians at hospitals and universities. Um, which is fabulous, and I love that job, um, and I, my background's in psychology, so before I worked as a full-time birth worker, I used to work in the NHS in psychology, neuropsychology specifically, and I've worked with people with chronic pain, so that seemed like a lateral sidestep um, when we're, you know, helping people um, deal with labour. Um, and what else do i do i'm also a spoken word artist a poet so uh, um, yeah. so i do get to speak to uh, lots of conferences and events um in what you know about birth activism and it's usually in rhyme yes i'm um, a yeah. well, very big fan of your work Katie. i do love your your um spoken word and your poem oh, well, thank, you, like
2: thank, yeah, you, thank you thank you thank you Katie wrote a poem about
1: my free birth group didn't you Katie? I did I wrote one specially for that group. Um, oh
0: we'll maybe have to put a link to that if you've got it somewhere that we can uh, our listeners can go and have a look up look at it because that's yeah
1: definitely
0: I don't, think I don't think I've heard that one randomly maybe i, I need to go and have a look.
1: <laughs> yeah well maybe I could um maybe I could say on here potentially or we'll have a link we'll see how it goes yeah
0: let's see how the time goes yeah absolutely um so Katie we we arranged to you know we had a chat with you about coming on the podcast with us today and you have got something really really exciting for our listeners which I am so excited about um so you have an exclusive for us here at the birth activists would you like to tell us about it
1: oh the exclusive (laughs) launch of the A to Z of childbirth activism poem so that is my latest poem um you guys are going to be hearing it for the first time in fact i've only ever told this poem to my husband Um, so it is really really hot off the press brand new
0: Fantastic. And obviously the clues in the title is that it is perfect for the Birth Activist podcast.
1: Um, We can't wait
0: to hear it. So I don't know, do you want to just go ahead and do it now? We can then have a chat afterwards because I'm sure everyone's desperate to hear it.
1: Yeah, why not? Okay, let's go. Okay, so the A to Z in childbirth activism. We are able, autonomous and activists. We are allies. We know we're allowed. The arbitrary rules have had many befalled To authority, we accepted and bowed. We've been bullied by beefed up benchmarks, brave yet burned at the stake. Crippled by cultural conditioning, the conveyor belt of care often breaks. We call to cut the coercion and cultivate informed choice and consent. We denounce defensive practice that dehumanizes the social event. We are experts in our own bodies. We examine the evidence that exists. We have faith in female physiology and feel the fear that persists. We are goddesses, yet we're guinea pigs. We're told to be good girls. Home birth is hindered and illegalized, yet hospital births held in awe. We're influenced inappropriately, we're induced without informed consent, our intuition is imprisoned by industrial childbirth as a normal event. We're judged against flawed evidence, we're medically managed and measured. More midwives is a moral must and mental health should be most treasured. Outdated obstetric practices, ongoing oppression persists patriarchal policies and procedures, prejudice and preconceptions exist. Quantitative data prevails, parents' opinions and perspectives rejected, routine interventions are standard, spontaneous birth disrespected. The technocratic technocratic model rules unabated, violations are vile and widespread. The wisdom within us is undervalued. Uninformed yeses aren't consent. We're zealots about shining the light to instigate necessary transformation because physiological birth needs to be respected for the health of future generations.
0: Yay! I love it. That's Ah. fantastic, Katie. Thank you so much. Oh, God. I don't know what to say about that. It's the hard act to follow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I've I've had. That idea in mind for ages, like wow. to do an A to Z. And you know Julie Hesmondalsh, um, she used to play Hayley Cropper in Coronation Street. Like my oh, yeah. partner. Well, she's like re- I've seen her speak at a few conferences, oh, yeah. like the Anti Austerity Conference in in Manchester. And she did this like A to Z of socialism, and it was amazing. And I was like, maybe I could do the same for birth <laughs> activism. I have to say, like hers is amazing like but mine's like a take on it
0: (laughs) oh it's fantastic I just I'd listening to you you read it out there's so many tongue twisters in there as well (laughs) I I don't know how you managed
1: it (laughs) well I just love playing with words Mm. yeah I just love playing you know give it a go like you know if anyone who's thinking about writing poems you know just like it doesn't have to rhyme just just get it out there give it a go but I do like I do like a good rhyme I like I like words I like playing around with words and I like to write things that actually have a meaning you know like quite therapeutic I imagine yeah definitely it's definitely a way I express myself probably better than in words because you actually get time to think about it that's why I like speaking in rhyme at conferences and not just ad-libbing I can ad-lib as well but you know it's there once it's written like you're not gonna make a complete muppet of yourself oh
0: oh it's fantastic i'm so pleased that you chose to to sort of you know come on here and and do it as an exclusive i think our listeners are gonna love it and um obviously we're gonna share it far and wide and put all the links to all your pages and everything and uh yeah it'd be great for other people coming in and discovering or your work because it's fantastic oh thank you becky (laughs) I'm not a writer at all. I'm, I'm horrendous at writing anything, <laughs> so I don't even try.
1: <laughs> well, I I think, so I, when I was at school, I remember writing um, Romeo and Juliet in the style of Roald Dahl's revol, Revolting Rhymes. Do you remember oh, Wow! That? Yeah. And um, and it's just brilliant. And I, I, I m- my friend and I wrote it and we thought it was amazing. And I think we got an A- Minus for it is that like, an A minus, and I remember just being really gutted, like A minus. Are you joking? <laughs> this is, but <laughs> I don't know why. I only got, but I felt a bit disheartened and things like that can just not your confidence, mm. can't they?
0: You sound like a really creative uh, and expressive person Katie. I know you've got some other things that you you do in your role as a doula that are are quite creative. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your
1: your dancing for birth? Yeah go on then. So years ago um, when I was first pregnant actually I did I I saw an advert for dancing for birth and I just thought wow that sounds brilliant and I couldn't find a teacher um, in my local area. Or oh, that, you know, the, this advert was really old. It was in the, I think it was in the pizza shop. So <laughs> um, I couldn't find a teacher. Anyway, I've always, uh, then I became a doula myself and I've always wanted to do this training. And I actually got to do it in lockdown, um, in the first lockdown. And then I repeated the training again. So I've actually done it twice. Um, and because whenever the, the woman, dancing for birth she's from America Stephanie Larson and so it was only ever in the UK like once a year um and I and I, I could never make it like I either you know I was on call um you know for a birth or um and I actually got to do it this year um so which was fantastic. Um, So you've just done the training then recently.
0: So obviously you've, you've not had a chance to sort of run any groups yet. Have you got that planned now? Obviously
1: the restrictions are being lifted. Yeah, I was thinking of doing it for like yoga groups, you know, say the yoga teachers away. Um, you know, right, but I think my life couldn't have something that runs weekly, yeah. Um, and I really struggled with that. But one-offs, say like the yoga teachers away, and then I would rock up to a group that already exists and teach them all these dance moves and um, that the, you can use in labour and in pregnancy to help get baby in a good position as well. Um, And, and it's yeah, it's really fun. It boosts your oxytocin levels. um, And I love dancing. And it's actually a really good natural induction method as well that you never hear people talking about this, you know, you hear about having curry, eating curry having sex eating pineapple but
0: that's Um, the thing isn't it is that the movement isn't it it's the moving the baby into an optimal position to come down into the pelvis and so yeah it's going to help things isn't it it's like we always say uh, about sitting on on birth balls is that the bouncing and the circling of the hips really helps but actually if you're dancing that's so much more fun than just sitting on a birth ball for for a few hours yeah
1: definitely and if if you think how the, the you know the pelvis isn't static the bones actually can move so if you're kind of lots of hip action wiggling your hips in in you know and there's so many dance styles where that's a thing um so I I um the first time I went into labor I actually I used to play capoeira which is like an afro-brazilian martial art and I played up up until seven months and then I thought I'll pack it in after that (laughs) it was a bit much and then um, at nine months, it was Christmas, like a few days before Christmas, and I'd there was a big capoeira event, and I'd gone to give my secret Santa present, and I'd gone to get a secret Santa present, um, you know, like it's like a secret Santa swap thing, and I that my, my master asked me to play. And I was like, what? I'm nine months pregnant. Obviously, I'm not gonna play capoeira. And he said, he was like, no, no, play Jiva It means slowly, he's Brazilian. jivaga play slowly. I was like, okay. So there was all these people, because it was like this big Christmas event. We were in Manchester, but there was people from Leeds, Sheffield, Wales, all, all over. And the, there was lots of energy in the space and there was the instruments were playing and he's and I started to play with him and because I'd played for many years I like even though I was pregnant my legs and my body was just doing what it normally does even though I was pregnant and everyone was like oh, you know just like shocked like what are you doing you're nine months pregnant that's crazy um and I played for about a minute and then I thought oh I better stop now and every you know there was a huge applause but it was a really big rush of you know, feel-good hormones, because everyone was, no. Yeah,
0: but there are so many um, videos, like, on social media, aren't there, of people, you know, proper dancers mm. um, just carrying on right into the third trimester. Um, you know, I've seen some fantastic um,
1: oh.
0: you know, videos out there. Go on, Sam. <laughs>
2: There's, uh, I've got a blog about it. One of my friends is a ballet dancer and there's the most beautiful, beautiful photos of her heavily, heavily pregnant ballet dancing across. It's called Dance Your Way Through Birth. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's on my website. She was beautiful. It was the most stunning pictures ever. They credit the original photographer, obviously. Mm.
0: Well, to be fair, you know, any kind of dance is great. You don't have to be a professional, do you? I remember being at one birth, gosh, quite early in my career as a doula. I was actually doing alongside another more experienced doula at the time. We were doing a bit of shared care. And I just remember the kids were still there at that point. It was early labour and we just put Gangnam Style on and we were just doing Gangnam Style around the lounge. (laughs) And of course, like you said, it really lifts the oxytocin because laughter is great for
1: producing oxytocin and that's what labour needs, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And so I did this for about a minute and then the following morning, at half five in the morning I'm lying in bed and I start to get twinges and mm-hmm. having been you know being a first-time mum and never having felt it before I thought oh no I've done something really bad to myself <laughs> um but then you know the labor continued and it, you know the, the the surges got more frequent and I actually had a, a half past 5 p.m the following day yeah so it you know it was 36 and a half hours, but it definitely started something and then the next with my second I, I tried to recreate that feeling and I just literally put my favorite dance tunes on in the house and jumped around like I was in a club um, mm-hmm. like it was in my favorite dance club just imagine that I was there and then the following evening you know, it could just be a coincidence, but I don't think so, because there's many a- anecdotal reports that, mm. that this can happen and very little actual proper studies on this. So I think it's that thing. If, if there's something that you really
0: enjoy and, and makes you feel happy, then it's going to help, isn't it? Because, mm. I mean, for me... Um, you know, not for me particularly. But for some people, the idea of dancing it doesn't fill them with joy.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. and, and so for them, it probably won't hurt. Probably won't work. <laughs>
1: no, exactly. I just feel the same about sorry and it's still the same about nipple stimulation (laughs) like people say oh it really helps you get into labor what happens if you don't like it
0: yeah exactly and also sex in labor as well because for some people it's really uncomfortable and it's not really gonna help that much because you're not gonna enjoy it
1: yeah Yeah. no people that it's never caveated with that though is it when you see like sex is good for starting labor it's like only if it's nice yeah
2: (laughs) Orgasm, orgasm, DIY, that's what I tell them. Orgasm, as <laughs> long it feels good. It doesn't have to be sex, does it? Because yeah, that's what we say, chasing yeah.
0: up something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, definitely. You know, yeah. Not lie
2: back, and lie back and think of England's not going to work, is it, at all? No. Uh, no, not
0: at all.
1: You've got to be engaged
0: completely. <laughs> Oh that's fantastic. I think that'll be really good for obviously, you know, like you were saying for if it's not something that you can do regularly that you can do like standing in for pregnancy yoga teachers would be fab and and maybe even like workshops for birth workers to sort of give them an idea on how to coach their their clients on on things like that was yeah. Yeah, really
1: definitely.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. What we've been talking about about it raising oxytocin and making you feel good that's the important side of it not the induction side you know yeah of course. yeah
1: absolutely absolutely feeling good you know feeling feeling
0: good. good. I think that's what's been missed um or what is missed rather when you know we talk a lot as doulas about physiological birth and the things that can help and hinder it and you know if you when you've got midwives that are trained in the physiolo- physiology of birth know if they are usually working in um a labor ward environment which is heavily medicalized they often forget those very simple things don't they and it's always about what they should be doing rather than actually thinking okay what is actually going to promote physiological birth here i don't actually need to intervene what i can do is make some small changes some small suggestions that might increase those oxytocin levels and actually help rather than hinder because we see such an iatrogenic care going on with you know the things that are are meant to help often just you know cause those oxytocin levels to to hit rock bottom don't they
1: yeah absolutely yeah definitely so you know you're in a an environment that's an institution be it a birth center a labor ward um or just having um you know a, a a midwife who has a background in a med- medically managed labors so it, yeah. it, it, it is very different from a midwife who really understands physiological birth yeah, yeah? someone commented on one of my posts yesterday to say um, my advice is just listen to and trust your midwife right and I, just, and I was I was just like you know, and she was responding to something that I'd written and I thought, no, that's really bad advice. Like only if you trust your midwife and you feel that that midwife is giving you good advice and you're happy to go along with that. And maybe you've asked the questions that you need to, to make sure that that midwife is trustworthy. Um, you know, we're not just saying all midwives are trustworthy or untrustworthy, just as all doulas aren't. Yeah, yeah i well,
2: Katie, that's, be on it. I thought you were going to say, "Listen to and trust yourself," until you yeah, got
0: to the end of the sentence. I did too, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? Listen to and trust yourself. Yeah. But that's the thing until sort of the nineteen fifties ish, when you know medicalised birth sort of became a thing, and you know they they have been very good at saving lives, definitely. But they've become more of a norm now, and physiological birth has almost become a second. You know, like you said in, in your in your poem at the start, it's that, you know, home births are the first thing that are cancelled, if anything, you know, rather, you know, rather than being prioritised as, you know, most births should be physiological and low risk because yeah. that should be the normal. It should be the high risk pregnancies that are, are not the normal.
1: Um, you know, it just, just backwards, really. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Mm, definitely and you know we thought that i suppose when covid first came out and you know the advice was stay at home so we thought okay mm. well maybe people they're going to be looking at home births and actually looking at the evidence of this and realizing they are actually indeed very safe um, for most women and um, most birthing people but unfortunately um, it was like the opposite wasn't it it was like we'll cancel the yeah, home birth pregnant <laughs> it was yeah. horrific yes but not mater- hashtag
0: but not maternity, yeah, absolutely. We use that
2: quite a bit. <laughs> oh, it dear. Was the women that I spoke to from group, it was barbaric. They were so upset and so scared and so frightened mm. and so dismissed. Oh, it doesn't matter, it's fine. You're not on your own, right? Okay, <laughs> you without your partner, you're without your doodah, you're without
0: your husband, you without
2: will be with you but you're not on your own
0: it's fine not well yeah this is the thing and, gone again? you said um, you mentioned about being trustworthy katie that's something that's come up quite a bit for me uh, in terms of it's it sometimes feels that midwives and healthcare professionals feel they have a right to be trusted and respected without having to earn that Mm. um whereas that's definitely something that I taught to you know the kids you know it's how I bring up my children is that you don't automatically get it you sort of have to earn it you know and that's it's the same isn't it and, and often they don't do a lot to instill trust in them with our clients
1: yeah because you really need to get to know somebody don't you I feel very fortunate um with my second but I'd moved house after my first baby moved in Um, to a different location and I had a different group of midwives and I really wasn't getting on with my midwife in terms of you know I'd had a home birth before and I wanted a home birth next and she said unless I take the iron tablets that that she's going to prescribe for me then I'm not going to get my home birth yeah you know if you're wanting you're wanting to and I knew that that wasn't true you know I knew that um, also I told her that I'd eaten loads of green leafy vegetables and some vitamin C and in my first pregnancy and boosted my iron levels naturally. And I was gonna do that again before I take these iron tablets. And, and I just thought if you're not supporting me now how are you gonna be able to support me? when I give birth because no. it's like your circle of influence is so important isn't it it is and just other things that that just really um
0: show that the the midwives have a lack of distrust or, or rather I, I don't want to put that on on all midwives uh, no. obviously, but it, it's often the system as well isn't it is it's, for example the smoking um test I say the smoke I call it the smoking test the carbon test carbon yeah. test um which they say is is you know firstly to to test if you're smoking secondly to sort of um test if you've got any faulty equipment <laughs> sorry I have to laugh it just just makes me laugh because obviously it was created to check if people have been lying whether they smoked or not which is just you know there's no trust there if, if that's what they're doing. I mean, I've, I've, some people have talked to me and said, my midwife asked me if I, if I was currently smoking. I said no, but then she asked me to do the test. So it's like, well, I'm asking the question, you are telling me an answer and I don't trust you. So you're still doing the test mm it's very sort of gaslighting isn't it and and it doesn't instill trust between you know a birth yeah. of
2: person and and, and a can I wind back a second Kate? if i just wind back a second did your midwife perchance tell you the side effects of iron tablets that you can get stomach aches that they can cause cramping that if you change your diet and you take iron tablets you can have too much iron and then you can be unwell and have constipation and this is the problem because I don't know if you two were aware, but at the start of lockdown, they were routinely prescribing iron tablets, regardless of whether or not anybody wanted them or needed them. They were just what? being given, and then all of these women were experience and and birthing people were experiencing stomach aches, pain, cramping, and I'm like, it's the iron tablets.
0: Mm. You don't need
2: them, or giving you alternatives, or discussing diet, or spartone, or forodex or any of the other many, or also. That your iron dropping in pregnancy is normal because your blood volume increases. Mm. Do
1: you talk about any of that? No, she That's absolutely didn't iron tablet. And what and and actually she she I, I'd had this blood test and she rang me and said, oh you know the results of the blood test are lower than they should be and you need to take these iron tablets. I described about the leafy vegetables and that i you know boosted it naturally and I, I wouldn't probably wouldn't be taking these tablets that she's um recommending and oh yeah and then she said actually I need to take another blood test because the one that she uh, you know had given this result actually wasn't the right one and in order to get these tablets um and and that was like wasn't ready for another two weeks so um and by the time I took it by the time I took it it was perfectly normal again like my own But it's it's part of that being
0: infantilised, isn't it? It's like, oh, you're you're a child. You don't know best. I know better. You need to have these tablets. You know, Mm. you're not um, you're not um, um, capable to make your own decisions. And we see it all the time as doulas, don't we? In various you know whether it's through pregnancy or through labor or birth or postnatally it's the same it's like oh you have to do it this way because this is the way that's best and you couldn't possibly know what's best for you and your baby um you know and we're grown adults i mean what what woman or person does not want the best for their baby what woman or person you know wants their child to be ill or, or to die or for them for themselves to be ill or die you know and based, on what I read,
2: somewhere, but. based on what i read in the home birth group a lot of these low irons aren't low either they're not low they're not mm. even medically low they're just within the normal range or sometimes the lower end of normal you know but still mm. normal
0: and that's the thing isn't it we're seeing that a lot as well is that um you know it was happening during the pandemic the trusts sort of um are using the guidelines um, flexibly, shall we say, or not at all. And it's almost like these guidelines are put in place, you know, by NICE or, or WHO or arcog and, and, and they're not followed. Or if they're followed, they're followed loosely or to for their own agenda and, and not as they should be. Um, which grow?
2: There's no policies at all. Yeah, there isn't yes. any, Just make it up. There's no RCOG, no RCOG or NICE guidelines or any other guidelines. And yet this tool is in nearly every trust in the NHS.
1: Anyway, we're, we're talking over Katie.
2: You speak, Katie. you <laughs> will throw it back at you.
1: Um, I think this this idea of taking responsibility and taking control of the, the, the decisions that you make and knowing that you can make decisions in childbirth, even if you're told to take iron tablets and you know, you're not going to be allowed to have what you want um, unless you do X, Y or Z. And I think this... Knowing that we have a choice and knowing that we're not always told the truth really spills over into everyday parenting as well. And I'll give you an example: when one of my children was about three, and she kept weeing all the time, you know, just like every I don't know twenty minutes or something. And I thought, well, maybe she's got a water infection. So I took her to the doctors, um, and the doctor said, could. Can she? He gave me a pot for her to wee in, and even though she'd been weeing every 20 minutes, she couldn't possibly do this sample <laughs> in the doctors at that time. So he said to me, "Right, I'm going to prescribe you some antibiotics, and I would like you to go home, do the wee sample, bring it in. I think this was like the Friday, bring it in, and." Um, we'll get the results on Wednesday. I want you to start giving, afterwards, I want you to start giving the antibiotics um, as soon as she's done the wee sample. Give the, And if we get to Wednesday and it turns out that she doesn't have a urine, infect, a water infection, then stop taking the antibiotics. And I was like, what? We, I'm gonna give her antibiotics and we don't even know if she's got anything. Uh, and he's like, yes. And I'm like, well, what are the side effects? And he said, there aren't any. <gasps> and, and I was like, there aren't any, really? And he he was like, no. And I said, um, okay, like, okay, and I was flabbergasted. There's so I went next
0: to everything.
1: Exactly. And is it not my right to know, even though, especially that I'm asking? You should have volunteered the information. But the fact that I asked, and he was really put out, you know, that I asked. And I just think. Because we're birth activists, because we know from birth, I think birth is such, pregnancy is such a good time where we can learn about these these things and we can learn to take responsibility and we can learn that we don't always need to accept everything that's offered to us, That we can ask questions. I um, had the
2: biggest row with our GP over my doctor. My do- I knew she had a urine infection, I could tell, because normally I can clear things. And I wanted them to test her urine and give her the right antibiotics. And in the end, we had such a row, I thought they were going to report me to social services for not... not not meeting her medical needs and it takes a lot to make me back down but I actually thought that's where this was going so I gave her these antibiotics that they prescribed only for them to phone me up three days later and tell me she was immune to the antibiotics that she was on and she needed a different one I was like well oh look isn't that what I asked in the sorry in the first place yes Mm. Mm. yeah but do the it, it takes over, doesn't it? And, and learning as a pregnant woman, as a pregnant person, that you have rights. I spoke to somebody yesterday or the day before. You know, my husband had his hernia up under a spinal because I refused, well, not I, I spoke to him about it. And I said, I didn't really want him to have a general unless it was necessary. And that if women can have cesareans under a spinal or an epidural, there's no reason that he couldn't have a keyhole surgery on his hernia in the same region and instead of all the hassle of a general with all the risks associated with a general, he had his op under a spinal and he was out of hospital in a couple of hours. Mm. I think I mean, like
0: like I mean. you said, Katie, it does, it does spill over into everyday life. And, and when I'm meeting up with um, a, a new client, which I'm probably I'm sure you both do the same before I'm answering any questions or you know talking to them about you know the physiology of birth you know, pain management, those types of things. The first thing I talk to them about are their rights and how to spot coercive language, um, you know, the idea of risk, um, you know, all those things. I'm like, we're getting this, we're doing this first because for me it is fundamental. It is the foundations for them being able to take responsibility for their own health and the health of their, their baby. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is it is. I can't think of any more words but <laughs> it's so important because yeah. like you say I always you know we use the BRAINS acronym I always take them in so if you forget everything that we've talked about in our sessions if you just remember BRAINS print it out download it on your phone whatever you need to do if you just remember that that and ask those questions that will stand you in in the best stead as you go forward w- with whatever you're doing in life
1: <sighs> sorry yeah about- I I hundred percent agree. I risk is one of my favourite subjects. You know, mm-hmm. I always say, if if you're told that the risk is doubled from say one, you know, find out what that risk is. Is yeah. it doubled from one in a thousand to two in a thousand? Because actually, risk is subjective, and yeah. you know that risk might be um, a risk that that but those parents are prepared to take. Thank yeah. you, two in a thousand, and and there's they never talk about the risks on all sides you you know the risk of um not doing what they said they you know they they, they're suggesting but what about all the risks of what they're actually suggesting like like you say you know to know what the benefits and risks of all your alternatives as in the brain acronym yeah exactly yeah and it's it's just
0: rife isn't it i mean you know all the stuff with the covid vaccine trying to get figures and and you know that are uh, usable statistics quality statistics is just so hard i mean we know that in the birth world anyway looking at at, uh, research and things it's very hard to get quality research that's going to actually help someone make an informed choice a lot of the time Um, and and yeah it's just you know we're all sort of being hit with it every day on the news at the moment (laughs) with the statistics and stuff um, i don't even know where i was going with that it just rang a bell there it was just like yeah risk is is one of those things isn't it and people don't often understand that that we take risks in everything that we do and a lot of things we do little risk assessments in our heads without even knowing it like you know putting one foot in front of the other and walking <laughs> but uh yeah it's very individual isn't it and like you were saying about you know like for example you may be one in ten thousand you um that might be your risk so you could be one of that 9999 that is okay but you could also be that one or your risk could be one in three but you might be one of the two that that doesn't it doesn't happen to so yeah it's just just because you take the least the path with least risk it doesn't mean that nothing's going to go wrong i think yeah
1: yeah, because you could still get and over doing that yeah,
0: other one. absolutely and it's just about making choices that you're comfortable with because at the end of the day it's not your doctor that's got to go home and live your life that's making all these recommendations you've got to be the one that's happy
1: with your, your decision yeah yeah and uh, virtually everyone's being high risk these days in maternity care yeah. and it's like just in case just to cover themselves the goalposts yeah, you... have been widened haven't they Definitely. If you get to the end of pregnancy and you are still low risk, <laughs> you've got a really bloody good chance of making, you know, that everything will go smoothly because most people are high risked at some point for some reason. Yeah. We're yeah. for an increasing list of reasons, aren't they? You know, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I used to work in the NHS and I used to run the GTT clinics and when I first started doing it, um, you know, we had uh we had clinics running every week and they sometimes there was a few spots empty. And then within like a couple of weeks, they were just random. We have to put extra clinics on because they've widened the goalposts. And this is the thing, isn't it? It's like you widen the goalposts, you're gonna catch more fish, basically. I'm yeah. using like a million different analogies here, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you understand what I mean. I know you do. Yeah. Um, and it is it's just like well you know if you look at that's the other thing people have to look at the risk but they also got to look at where the goalposts are um like yeah sam was saying about the gap and grow you know it's just like well they make it virtually impossible to have a low risk pregnancy these days
1: yeah absolutely and but by casting the net so wide they're catching you know a lot of babies where, the, where there may, may be a problem but they're catching a whole raft of people that where there isn't a problem you know yeah. that there wouldn't have been a problem um and then they're also missing a few of the babies who have got a problem do you yeah. know what i mean it's, it's not like and yeah. what impact is all of this having
2: right we're looking at the physical what impact is all of this having on women's mental health
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah you know,
2: that seems to be nobody cares no matter what they say they don't care about the mental health of the women they're high risking constantly high risking all of the time all of the time you know I just got in group I just called the, the 36 37 38 week scan it's supposed to be a positioning scan and they're looking for a problem scan that's what yeah. I call it now because it just seems to me that these, these, my group members have perfectly healthy, happy, beautiful, lovely pregnancies where they're super excited for their birth. Yeah. And then yeah. they go to that late scan and that's it. They're yeah. terrified. Again, it's disgusting. It, it, it literally disgusts me. I go to bed with my head in my hands so
0: often. It makes uh-huh. me. Yes, we do often get on our soapbox and often come off of the uh, recording just, yeah, absolutely furious a lot of the time um, with things like this. And I'm sure you get furious as well, Katie, with, you know, seeing it with your clients and everything. Um yeah, when you when you are a birth activist, people think, oh, you're just having a way of time, you know, ranting at people, upsetting people. It's like, well, no, actually, because the reason we do it is because we see so many people having negative birth experiences, traumatized, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of them, if you have if they haven't got as far as sort of having any physical or emotional, you know, treatment necessary, then sort of the least is that I'm not having any more babies again. You know that kind of thing happens
2: and then the, the, boy who cries, the boy who cries wolf effect you know when yeah. nobody believes you because you say it so often then people aren't going to trust you when it's the truth
0: yeah yeah um, definitely definitely this has okay, been a lovely chat with you katie i think do you have time for another poem for us i don't want to catch you unawares if hopefully you got something there you can give give our listeners
1: oh goodness me um i don't mm. know which one
0: to do actually <laughs> you got <certainly, laughs> i must say i must say i case you i really hope that because i i follow you on on social media and i love all your little videos and reels and tiktok not tiktoks so i'm not on tiktok um <laughs> all your but video reels and things like that that you do are fabulous um, and so I'm really looking for, I'm hoping that you're going to do like maybe some of your dance moves on there and, and things like that would be fantastic
1: yeah well,
0: more recordings of your poetry
1: would be great as well I'm wondering which one to do I could do um the very first spoken word piece that I ever did that I ever wrote
0: mm. um
1: and that was in 2015 the birth of my second child featured on a documentary that was on BBC One and wow. it was called Childbirth All or Nothing and it's an amazing program um, and it follows the fortunes of four women who were giving birth not in the system you know they they were having alternative births if, if you like yeah. so after after my birth got filmed in that um when it was edited down there were so many parts that I wish would have gone into it that didn't. So what I did was crowdfund to make my own series of videos. And I thought it would just take like a few weeks, six weeks to make, but it actually took months and months and months. And we went and interviewed like all these amazing um, midwives and birth activists and various people for the filming. And, and after about a year, I thought, oh God, you know, whoever's gonna see this is just gonna be floating around the internet. And I had this idea of creating the spoken word piece, but I'd never written a poem by myself before. Well, and since I was at school. So I commissioned um, a well-known spoken word artist called Ben Meller to help me write this poem. And it turned out it was a collaboration and, and a very much a, the first of many. So I'll find it. Yep. This one it's called, It's Not Because. It wasn't because I'd read the books, Childbirth Without Fear, Birthing from Within, or anything by Ina Mae Gaskin. And it wasn't because I'd searched home birth chat forums on Facebook groups to answer the questions that I'd been asking. And it wasn't because I had a birth pool or had a doula and listened to what she had to say, practiced self hypnosis, or drank raspberry leaf tea three times a day. It wasn't because of any of these things, though I did all of them and more. It's simply because I'm a woman and it's what my body was designed for. We've seen what childbirth looks like on TV, right? Women lying on their backs on a strange and unfamiliar bed, the fear and screaming stainless steel, the panic and the dread. But what if the horror and the trauma can sometimes be a self-fulfilling prophecy? What if The received wisdom that birth is dangerous and unpleasant is simply a cultural attitude that we can change when we just listen, listen to our bodies and the knowledge they possess, listen to our rhythms when we need things to progress. We are part of a process as old as life itself, ingrained in our DNA, way older than waiting times and targets and an overstretched NHS. Because birth happens best, when it's undisturbed, when it's dark and it's quiet and you're unobserved. Birth requires 100% concentration and focus. And we can't do that when the locus of control is outside of ourselves. We need to feel safe and loved. We need to feel trust. And yet it seems so unjust that we're not being allowed to give birth unimpeded at our own pace in a quiet and dark and familiar space. So if you're planning to give birth, please know this one thing, that fear causes tension and that causes pain. When we learn to relax, we can manage the strain. You can do your own research and find out how to prepare to free the wisdom within us. It's a truth we must share. Love it.
0: Hello, Hi. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, yeah. fabulous! That's such a good story as well. Like Sam said, it was such a, a really interesting story as well that you had your your birth videoed.
1: Mm. So Yeah, very have, much
0: observed.
1: Yeah, it was very very observed. Yeah, it was on BBC One, uh, <laughs> so a lot of people saw it. But the reason I did it, it's it's a bit of a strange story. So when I was. I was when I was first pregnant I was really really scared of giving birth like I'd grown up with my mum's horrible story about giving birth and um, she hadn't had a very nice time with me at all she had wanted all the drugs and she had a very charismatic um, obstetrician um, that she paid privately for and you know he was the best um in the area apparently and she wanted all the drugs and he said don't worry my dear you leave it to me you know you won't feel a thing um and actually the truth is that she didn't have she wasn't prepared for the labor she didn't have any breathing techniques she didn't know what to expect she was super scared she was super tense and even though she had the epidural she still felt the pains and it scared her and when she woke up from the Uh, She woke up. She and her legs. She thought her legs were paralysed because she couldn't move them. And and then I caught a hospital acquired infection and stayed in for ten days. So that was my birth story. And that's the thing that I'd grown up with. And so when I came to give birth, I was super scared. And it's a whole long story, but I ended up doing a natal hypnotherapy course with Dot Parry, who's local to me. And on that course, she showed me a video for the first time of a mum giving birth in Calm. And I was absolutely blown away because I'd only ever seen mums freaking out, you know, like you often see on one board every minute and program films and things. And I remember thinking, I was so blown away. And I said to her, it's my teacher, is, it, it can second, can first time mums do this? Cause this woman's a second time mum. And she said, no, yeah, they can. And I said, well, why are there no videos of first time mums giving birth? Mm. She said, well, because no one's ever offered. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and at the end of the course, I thought, you know what? I, as a first time mum, it would really empower me if I'd have seen other mums giving birth mm. in a more relaxed way. So I offered for her to film my first birth, and so and she did, and she came, and we and we hadn't discussed how I want, wanted the birth filmed. So even though I imagined that it was just going to be about the environment, um, you know how this calm environment, first time mom giving birth. <laughs> what she actually did was film my vagina for like <laughs> two hours because she didn't know when the baby was going to come out. <laughs> and when I saw it back, I was like, "What? <laughs> Why did you do that?" And she's like, "Oh, we didn't really chat chat about it." And so, I'd always kind of wanted it filming a bit differently. And when I was pregnant the second time, um, she actually called me and just said, "Oh, by the way, we've been con- I've been contacted by um, a, a TV company, and maybe you're pregnant right now. Maybe you want to do this." So that's how I got into having my second birth film for the BBC. And I knew exactly how I wanted it filmed because, um, you know, my first one, yeah, with with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. And it's amazing footage. It's amazing footage. They had like a super powerful camera that even in the dark, like you could just see, you know, what you need is it too. is
0: it available to watch still katie if we went and found it we'll put a link yeah up. it
1: is it's if you can find it on youtube if you put childbirth all or law nothing um science documentaries has has uploaded it so Perhaps. we'll have a look
2: in, uh, it's in my free birth group isn't it katie as well didn't we put it in there yeah i think so oh, and I'll katie's I'll in it. a free birth She did the special poem for my course in a group. It's also available in my course in a group. I'll plug my own course
0: now. Well, we're going to put the link up for that, Sam. So don't worry. We'll pop the link up in the bio for that. Not a problem. Um, It's been fantastic talking
1: to you, Katie. Have you got any sort of last words or messages before we sign off today? Oh, well, I would just say, you know, to any potential birthing um, parents to be, I would say, Do your research, Um, you know, go and find a local dealer. You know, if you're interested in having an empowered birth, whether that's a physiological birth or an elective cesarean birth, Um, or even if you have an unplanned caesarean, you know, and it it can still feel empowering, you can still have a positive experience. If you know what questions to ask and if you have prepared well, what I would say is don't just go through the system without asking questions, um, just accepting everything that's offered.
0: Good advice.
2: Sam, any last words? Nope, I think Katie summed it abusively there. It's so lovely to see you, Katie, and your happy smiley face, even though you listeners won't see Katie's happy smiley face. No, we get
1: that. We get that pleasure. (laughs) Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure being on here today. Thank you so much, Becky and Sam, for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, Yeah, thank
0: you, Katie. Thank you, Sam. It's been lovely as usual. And that's it for today. And see you again on the next podcast. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.